You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 166. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. You have reached another Local Maximum. This is April 12th, 2021, episode 166. It happens to be my birthday today. Local Maximum episode date. Monday happens to line up with my birthday, and I have to say, I don't have, um, well, I have a ton of episodes in the can that I've already recorded, but, you know, hey, rather than doing four interviews in a row, four guests in a row, four or five, uh, you know, I figure, why not do a solo show uh, just for today, so that way I can get, you know, some stuff is on my mind, I can get some stuff off my mind. Uh, not all of it's positive, but some of it is. <laughs> but what can you do? Uh, and uh, and yeah, get 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 stay in practice in the art of the solo podcast. So first, a little bit today, I'm going to talk about kind of the times that we're living in, which are crazy, and it seems like it's. Uh, I kind of want to get away with get away from it. In, in, in some regards, but in, in, in other respects, it's like I've got this weekly podcast, got to talk about it at some point. Uh, and then after that, we're going to talk about a concept called uh, the rate of return and expected value. Seems like something you, you'd get in, in investing or gambling that's pretty straightforward. Uh, but it's a statistical question, and there's some stuff there that uh, I've been looking at that seems a little counterintuitive. And uh, we'll talk about why. And it's not like very complicated math. It's stuff that anyone can understand. So, all right, let's start. And again, I'm going to be a bit fragmented today because why not? So first, an interesting section I found from that I think is relevant for today from a political platform in the United States uh, in the mid-19th century. I'm not even going to say who it is, but uh, I thought it was relevant. So let me read a clip from this, uh, from this political platform, uh, beginning, tyrannical and unconstitutional laws have been enacted and enforced. The right of the people to keep and bear arms has been infringed. Tests, oaths, test oaths of an extraordinary and entangling nature have been imposed as a condition of exercising the right of suffrage and holding office. The right of an accused person to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury has been denied. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures has been violated. They have been deprived of life, liberty, and property without due process of law. That the freedom of speech and of the press has been abridged. The right to choose their representatives has, made, has been made of no effect. Murders, robberies, and arsons have been instigated and encouraged and the offenders have been allowed to go unpunished. So this was written in the mid-19th century, and honestly, a lot of it uh, a lot of it looks like the problems that we're having today. So they were seeing some dark times in their country, and um, I guess, well, in one sense, it's good to know that uh, a lot of this stuff has happened before, and uh, we've come out of it, so I'm sure we'll come out of it again. So first... Let's look at all the COVID restrictions and the COVID lockdowns. And specifically, I want to talk about the, the, um, the conversation around it. We still have most states that aren't fully opened yet. I did episode 120 on the reopening last year, but that was just when New York City went from the hard lockdown that we started in March 20, uh, 2020 
to the more soft lockdown that we've seen ever since. We haven't been able to shake. Um, and some people say we need it. Some people say we don't. I'll get to that in a second. My current home in New Hampshire is not one of those states with those types of restrictions, though mask mandates are there. And from personal experience, it's, you know, not always followed or enforced, only sometimes. So, look, um, in terms of these lockdowns, I could see why we took these drastic actions last year in March and April when people really didn't know what we were dealing with and they thought, you know, maybe we can lose tons of lives or we could save tons of lives with these lockdowns and with these restrictions. And I have not seen any data so far, and I've been looking at charts and graphs and arguments, you know, for for a year now, and I have not seen any data showing that lockdowns lead to less sickness or less deaths. I mean, it's, you know, it's maybe, it's this overly simplistic thinking that if we just force people to do something that... uh, we that that looks like it slows the rate of the virus, then it will slow the rate of of the virus. You know, just um, just force X and we'll get X. But that's not always how it works out in public policy. In fact, that's usually not how it works out in public policy. And look what happened. Uh, you know, you have it's not just. I mean, people kind of distill it into you know very simple terms like, hey, look at California and look at Florida. You know, California is closed. Florida is open. They have similar climate, similar high dense population, and their death rate is about the same. Well, maybe there are some ways to account for that, but I haven't seen any arguments that account for that. And so it really appears that um, if we do kind of a causality study on these on these lockdowns and restrictions, then it appears that if you had locked down when you hadn't, you wouldn't have saved any lives statistically. And if you hadn't locked down when you had, you wouldn't have ended any lives from COVID, at least statistically. So I I think that there is a morality of it where you can't, I think it's like immoral to disrupt the lives of so many millions and millions of people. And this has led to so many health issues of people, you know, not getting the care they need. So many uh, uh, mental health issues, depression, so many, you know, so much disruption of school. And for what? Uh, right now, it appears that these restrictions have been for nothing. That's not to say, that's not, you know, COVID denialism. That's not to say the virus isn't there. That's not to say that individuals and organizations shouldn't take the proper precautions. Uh, but it is to say that these basically turning our society into a, a democratic and capitalist one into a authoritarian a command and control economy is is uh, is that's that's a totally different thing, and it's not worth it. It's it should always not be. You know, I, I I'm surprised at how many people don't see that that has happened, and are not as concerned about it. Although there are a lot of people who are. I'm sure that some of you have. Uh, again, there's another reason why I don't want to talk about it that often because there are other people who are talking about it, but. It still is very kind of distressing to me, especially like, you know, living in New York through that, how, you know, it so quickly turned into basically it was living in an authoritarian country. And it really sucks. You know, you lose the freedom of assembly and they say, well, it's, it's temporary, but there's no justification for it anymore because those restrictions on freedom of assembly and freedom of religion, you know, you can't go to church or mosque or synagogue. Uh, it seems like those restrictions have not affected the death rate. 
Um, if you say it did, it, it would have. It's only statistical noise. I don't think it's it's right to do this just because you you think something lives in statistical noise. That's uh, you know that's not a good justification. So we lose freedom of assembly. You can't have a, a, a democratic society without freedom of assembly. So especially for my friends left in New York State, I mean, I, I you know, I mean, I guess you're there because. Your friends are there, or you, you know, or you, you've just been there, and you haven't moved yet, or your job is there. But like, why? In 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 what sense is anything going right? Is what I want to ask. Like, where? When are we going to get back to normal? Can we get back to normal? And you know, is there anything like all of the benefits of living in the United States? Do we still have that? Um, because it looks like it's there, it's under attack. Maybe it's been under attack for a while, but that attack has been intensified, uh, and not just intensified, but like, you know, uh, <laughs> a switch has been turned on and they've gone full, uh, you know, full crazy authoritarian mode over the last year. Um, you know, we've had a loss of freedom of religion. The Supreme Court of the United States, fortunately, has ordered California to allow in-home prayer meetings, uh, but then it's like that's just a small thing. So they kind of like the people. They were preventing people from having visitors in their own home for the purpose of religion. I mean, that's like basic First Amendment stuff. And the state of California wouldn't allow it. I mean, it's one thing to say like, "Hey, March and April, we don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know how to mitigate the, uh, you know, we don't know how to mitigate the risk of this virus." But now, a year later, in 2021. Uh, it, 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 there's no longer any excuse for it. So anyway, I just had to get that off my mind. Someone convinced me also that all of the COVID content disappearing from YouTube and Medium are because the experts at those places really know what they are doing. So why were they... I mean, I remember back in the beginning of the lockdown and beginning of COVID back in March of, uh, of 2020, there was an article written uh, by someone, uh, what was his name? It was, uh, his name was Aaron Jin, and he wrote an article against COVID hysteria. He wrote the article on Medium. Medium took it down. Now, what was their justification for taking it down? Is it the only Medium article that had uh, something false in it? They said it was like he's spreading false information about COVID. Well, um, clearly, Medium does not have a general policy of fact-checking every article. So I think they're I think it was part of the hysteria taking it down, which ironically is what the article was about, is that, well, anyone who tries to minimize uh, COVID is a threat to public health. And therefore, we have to, rather than, you know, just part of a, a debate on what's going on, therefore, we have to take it. So you could still get his article, but not easily. You have to go on archive.org, which just to kind of save stuff from the internet. Uh, you, can, you know, you can't get it on Google. You can't get it anywhere else. It was saved on... Um, on coin, uh, what was it, Zero Hedge for a while, but uh, but that's gone now. So I'll, I'll link localmaxradio.com slash 166T, the article for yourself. Um, th- what Was every prediction that he made in the article correct? No. Uh, no, it was not. But <laughs> as every prediction, was it more wrong than the predictions being made by the experts at the time? Absolutely not either. So um, why are we, you know, why are we are, are we doing this again? I ask. And so, you know, he said, "Hey, this virus is going to be less severe in the in the summer months because of uh, you know because it, it spreads less in the in, in the in the heat in 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 the sun." And it turned out, yeah, he was right. It turns out, yes, the the virus has been far less 
strong in the in the summer. Remember, it went away almost completely in like June, July, August, and then in September, and then it came back in October. And now, what is it now? It's uh, it's April, and and it's uh, you know it's starting to go away again. So he was right about that. He was right about another. He wasn't saying there's no such thing as COVID. You know, uh, go out and don't take any precautions. Uh, there are some people saying that, but even that, like, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't censor that. That's just, well, I've been against censorship the whole time. Where, wh- when was my whole thing against censorship? I think I did a whole episode about that. Uh, why oppose censorship? Episode 155. I'll link to that as well. Um, so let's not let that get memory hold. Uh, there's, there have been so many people who have just been removed from YouTube, from Twitter, uh, on on this subject. Another one is, um, here's another one. This is on odyssey.com. So odyssey.com is kind of a YouTube alternative that uh, is based on a library, L-B-R-Y. It's like library with no vowels. I don't know why you'd name something like that. But anyway, that's the protocol. So it's a bit more decentralized. So you really can't, um, you really can't, uh, 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 you, you know, you're not going to see the type of censorship that you see on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to link to a video by Nick Hudson, who again it can't be on YouTube, but uh, it's uh, it was a, it was on a in a conference in South Africa. It's called "The Ugly Truth About the COVID-19 Lockdowns," and he goes into you know how destructive this has been uh, in terms of like you know regular people's lives into society, and is it worth it? How is that not a legitimate question to ask? Um, but our overlords in the internet have decided that it's not. Um, so who's going to defend this to me? Who's going to tell me, you know, why we need to do this? I've never seen, you know, it's one thing if you if you are censoring thing and you give justification, but it's, I mean, I wouldn't be for it then. But it's another thing when you're censoring all this stuff and we're not even given any justification for it. We're not told, you know, why it's important to remove all this stuff. So, uh, so uh, recently, and this is why it came up, um, we had, there was a public hearing in, uh, this was in Florida. I'm linking to the Wall Street Journal here. Sorry, I don't have all my, uh, my talking points set up today, so we're going to just try to wing it a little bit. But uh, this article in the Wall Street Journal is from April 8th, so a few days ago. YouTube's assault on public accountability. The company scrubs a video of uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's policy roundtable with physicians and scientists. So again, this is a public hearing, publicly funded. I mean, if anything, and by the way, in public hearings, not everything that people say is true. Not everything people say you're going to agree with. Sometimes someone's going to say something that you think is uh, harmful to the country, to the state, whatever. That's every public hearing. That's every, that's every debate in a democracy is like that. And the idea is if you're going to have a, a democracy or, as I like to say, kind of a democratic society you, or, or, or an open and free society at all, you need to have these things open to the public. You can't just say, well, this is bad. We're going to take it away. Some of the things that the average people said uh, we've determined are, are not good. And um, we, I know I'm preaching to the choir here a lot, but it's um, I'm, I'm just trying to establish the pattern here. 
um, when it's like, okay, it's one thing, they, they've gone from like random people on the internet to now public hearings that we're not allowed to hear anyway, because public hearings could be, could be dangerous to our health to hear stuff that, uh, that we don't want to hear. And again, this was, um, you know, what, what was this about? This is sort of, you know, they, it, it ranged from, you know, are we going to open the schools or not? Uh, which a lot of people are saying. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the New York Post had a bunch of letters coming in saying, you know, hey, today, saying, hey, open the schools in New York. There are people saying we're going to close it for years. We're going to say, hey, someone, <laughs> years, like someone's entire high school could be offline from ninth grade to 12th grade. Think about how crazy that is, uh, offline or, or online, I guess. Um, and uh, and for, for, for what reason? I don't know. So... Again, I'll, I'll, I'll link to the one in, in Florida. Everyone knows this is going on. I'll link to odyssey.com, Time to Reopen Society. So there's this need to censor this stuff. Is this like a forever war on information that they have? Is it forever going to be, hey, we just have to make sure that the right information gets out and the wrong information gets memory holds just for, for forever, for all time, until... Uh, you know, until people learn their lesson. Is that the war that they're fighting? I mean, I don't think you could win that war. They think they can win it, apparently. I don't know. Um, but maybe they don't think that far ahead. We don't know unless we get their justification, which we don't have. You know, we, we've always had public hearings, open public hearings in this country. And it's not just this country. It's like most open countries around the world have open public hearings, uh, or at least they say they do. Um, and they've never censored bad information. So I don't really get that. Some other people that have been censored, um, El Gato, uh, the bad cat, El Gato Malo, he was on uh, Twitter talking about COVID for many, many months um, and was skeptical of the experts. He's been taken off Twitter. Uh, he's now on Substack. Uh, so it's, um, uh, so, so yeah, uh, Here's an article from the New York Times again uh, from a couple days ago. And the New York Times is not talking about this at all, of course. But this article is sort of <laughs> interesting because they're going back on what they said previously, which is fine. I don't, um, I don't have a problem with people saying one thing and then later on coming out and saying, well, we've learned we were wrong about this and because we have more information now. And so now we're going to take that information. We're going to have a, a, a different opinion. I mean, that's, you know, that's what Bayesian inference is all about. But if you're going to use that, then you also have to hear all information. Uh, you, know, you, you shouldn't be like you know, censoring critics and stuff. So this one from the New York Times four days ago is, has the er era of overzealous cleaning finally come to an end. This week, the CDC acknowledged what scientists have been saying for months. The risk of catching coronavirus from surfaces is low. Now, I don't know about you, but at the beginning of this pandemic in March and April, I was very worried about the packages coming in. I remember, and <laughs> to make matters even worse, the, uh, uh, you know, the government of New York had uh, banned uh, bags, had banned plastic bags, and the... Um, the grocery stores weren't quite ready for it. So they had these paper bags where there was like no, um, that you had to pay for. And so the, uh, the grocer, uh, or, or the person at CVS had to handle every bag and all of your items individually and put them in. And so it was like, everybody was touching everything. And I was very concerned about that. A lot of people were very concerned about it. A lot of people were washing their groceries. I was doing that a little bit. Um, but, uh, 
it turned out that, and by the way, not necessarily irrational. We didn't know. We didn't know that that was uh, not how COVID spreads. But apparently, uh, even though there were some people saying it, but I'm sure the people who were saying it at the time were being censored and they ended up being right. So now the New York Times is saying that, but they're not, you know, they wouldn't, uh, you know, uh, of course, they're not going to say in the article, despite censoring X, Y, and Z, uh, uh, you know, we're now saying this. They're like, no, we're now saying this. No one ever told, no one told us this could be the case back last year, but uh, we're just changing our mind. Uh, so, all right. Um, that's fine. I mean, it was always kind of not obvious, but it was sort of obvious to me that this thing spreads very quickly through the air. I mean, there was a long time where they were saying that they weren't sure if it was airborne, but in New York City, we went from nobody getting sick to everybody getting sick very quickly. I mean, and it's not like everybody's touching every surface in New York City. I mean, you do touch quite a few surfaces, but we do wash our hands. So I'm like, you know what? It's got to be spreading uh, through offices, through, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sort of like in Foursquare when we shut down and, uh, you know, one person got sick. I don't think anybody else got sick after that particular from that particular incident. But people are like, "Oh, what if I touch the soda machine? If I touch the soda machine, am I exposed now?" No, it was probably the kind of thing where uh, you know it, it was passed through the air, and I think nobody in, at Foursquare got it because uh, the person was um, not symptomatic yet, and uh, you know not spreading yet. I, I think that. Uh, you know, just just be. I know I know this is a big deal about asymptomatic spread, but I feel like if if this was a, a while before the person got it, maybe asymptomatic spread is is not that big of a deal. Maybe I I I don't know the situation with asymptomatic spread. I don't know if hey maybe a day before you get symptoms you're 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 already spreading it, but it's not. It's probably not right away. So anyway, um, I just have to talk about this stuff because I feel like the media is just is gaslighting us. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's driving me crazy sometimes. Um, I'm also going to link to an article from the Wall Street Journal. This was back last year, May 15th, 2020, the lockdown skeptic they couldn't silence. Targeted for censorship in March, Aaron Jin is becoming an influential voice in cities, states, and Washington. Unfortunately, they did silence him. I mean, look, you can't get that article anymore. Uh, except on archive. And honestly, it's, you know, what do we do about it? I think the thing we do about it is don't allow these things to be memory hold. First of all, I I wish I had a better call to action, but it's like, take some time to remember stuff that, uh, you know, you were supposed to forget (laughs) because it's hard to, it's, it's, uh, a, a lot of the stories that we get on the media kind of assume that we were born yesterday and we haven't been paying attention for the long uh, a long time, or you know, hey, this kind of contradicts a story that you saw last year, but you know, we're not going to take that into account because we're going to assume that you don't remember last year. So let's uh, let's just try to remember it. Um, okay, I think that um, people, I, I think, I think there is kind of a hysteria. It doesn't mean that I would say, you know. Don't take any precautions and, you know, uh, don't, uh, you know, and uh, I don't know how much I have to say this, but I think that, you know, by nature, people are live and let live. People, most people, I, I'm going to get some pushback on this, but I think that most people in the country, most people in the world don't really care what their neighbor is doing. 
So I think, and, and, and they're kind of, you know, so wrapped up in their own life that they don't really have a, they don't want to punish uh, the people in their community or in their country for, you know, whatever sin or, or crime or, or wrong thing they, they, they think they're doing. I really do think that most people are like this. Uh, and in order to have power, over people, for, for politicians, you kind of need to convince the populace that whatever their neighbor is doing, you know, I know you don't want to do anything about it, but be afraid because that is going to be your undoing. So if you read op-eds or public service announcement, or if you're listening to celebrities or if you're listening to politicians, look for that particular template of argument. This is kind of a game changer if you do. So the template of the argument is, hey, you might not care if other people are doing X, but because other people are doing X, it's going to lead to this horrific crisis Y, and therefore you need to empower Z, that's us, to force people not to do X. Next time you read a newspaper or listen to a PSA or a political speech, watch for that template because it appears more often than you think, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's true. Like it feels like half the messages that we get out there is like, "Be afraid of your neighbor. Be very, very afraid." So, <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I feel like pointing that out maybe can have some kind of uh, some kind of effect, but I don't know. All right, that's. I just wanted to get that out uh, solo because um, I, uh, I I I I I just want to talk about. It. Maybe I don't have the right. Maybe I don't have the, the quite the right words for this. Maybe I'm not the best one to do it, but hopefully we could talk about this more often as uh, I get more guests on or maybe when Aaron comes on. So that'll be good. All right. Now we're going to do a little bit of a math lesson, a little bit of an investing and gambling lesson. Uh, we all like that. Let's talk about expected value versus the long-term rate of return. So in school, you learned about the the mean, the average, the expected value, and the expected value. And you learn two of them, usually. You learned about the arithmetic mean, which is the one that you usually think about, and you learned about the geometric mean. So why is that, um, and which one is more important? And here's a good reason that when it comes to thinking about investing and gambling and gaming, uh, they're both important. And even though the arithmetic mean is the one that's... Um, you know, that's used most of the time, it's actually the geometric mean that you want. So you might have heard of a little gambling strategy called uh, double or nothing. It's not a gambling strategy. It's just a, it's just a gamble. Hey, double or nothing. You put down $100 and uh, there's going to be a coin flip or some game of chance with even odds. And there's a 50% chance that you get $200 and there's a 50% chance that you lose everything. Well, if you look at the expected value of that, the expected value of that is going to be $100. That's kind of an even play. And you could say, well, that, 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 therefore, I know that if the downside remains zero and the upside remains, uh, let's say, it goes a little bit higher than 200, let's say it goes to 201, then if I play that game over and over and over again, eventually I'm going to come out ahead because, um, because it's, uh, it's my expected value is greater than zero. Uh, but that's not quite true because you're actually, it's not just lose $100 versus gain $1. You're actually gain $100. It's actually based on the amount of money that you're putting down. 
So, for example, if you put down $100 and you make $200, well, next time you could actually put down $200. Um, and then, uh, you know, you could go up to 400 or you could go back to zero. The problem is, what if you play that game over and over and over again? Well, it's kind of obvious what will happen if you continue playing all that game, that game over and over and bet all your money. That's like leaving some money on the roulette wheel on red and just letting it ride forever, eventually it'll get to zero because <laughs> you'll lose one of those bets. Uh, you'll get to nothing and you will, uh, you'll, you'll lose everything. And so, and so the question that arises, well, what, what would be a good game to play then? If, uh, if double or nothing is really bad, what would be a good game? Well, the answer is not to necessarily increase the upside in that, in that bet. Like, let's say you were playing triple or nothing. Well, uh, you know, you're, let's say you put down $100 and you can get 300 or zero. Well, your expected value from that is, uh, is 150 And that sounds really good. But uh, unfortunately, you'll still, <laughs> you'll still eventually lose that bet and go down to zero and blow up. Uh, another thing to watch out for is what if you increase the odds that you're on the winning side? Well, let's say you're going to increase your money by 10%. You're going to get a little money out of it. Uh, you're going to put down $100, and you're probably going to get 10 bucks. Uh, increase your money by 10%, but there's a small probability, but not negligible. Let's say 1%, 2% probability that uh, you'll lose everything. Um, and even then, you know, assuming that that, play, that that game is played over and over and over again, eventually you're going to hit that bad luck. You're going to hit that landmine. Let's see on the roulette wheel, it's like landing on one of those green zeros. Uh, and then you're going to just lose everything, and, uh, and that'll be the end of it. And the reason is because your expected value from playing things once is the arithmetic mean, and your expected value of playing things uh, you know, multiple times, you know, let's say through infinity, an infinite number of times, your expected rate of return is the geometric mean. So let me give you, uh, let, let's give another example that might be a little bit, um, uh, let me give a couple more examples. Okay, so let's, instead of saying there's a chance that uh, you lose everything, uh, obviously we can't have that chance there because uh, the chance that you, of course there's always a chance that everything blows up in, in life and there's maybe not much you could do about that, but any chance that... Um, that is built in, you want to kind of eliminate that because in the long run, uh, that will probably happen from time to time. So uh, let's say that uh, instead of playing double or nothing, what can we replace nothing with? And the fair game in that instance, I put fair, let's put fair in quotes here, but the game where you won't, you know, lose in the long run is not double or nothing, but double or half. So in other words, you put down $100 and there is a uh, there's a a fifty fifty chance you double your money to two hundred, and there's a fifty fifty chance that you half your money to fifty. Uh, the problem is now now the issue is the good thing is if you go down to fifty, then hey you just make the bet again. Assume the bet is available to make over and over again. Then maybe you know if you just win once you go up to a hundred. If you lose you go down to twenty five. But you'll always have some some raw amount to play that over and over again. Now, no casino is going to take that bet on the other side because they're going to lose $50 on one side and they'll win 150 on the other. So that's no good for them. Uh, but if you find a bet for that, uh, that is a good one to play 
over and over and over again. Um, so uh, that's um, so and and so then you could kind of make a um, an inference. Well, let's say on the winning side, instead of winning a hundred percent, I win a little bit more than a hundred percent. So let's say instead of um, you know winning a hundred dollars, I win a hundred or uh, let's say you know instead of instead of playing double or nothing or half, I'm playing like double, like 2.1 X over half, then it's like, okay, that's a great one to play over the long run because then you'll get some rate of return. Um, let's look at something a little bit more with more modest rates of return. Let's say 10%. Let's say that there is a game where you put down a hundred dollars and there is a 50, 50 chance that you lose 10 bucks. You lose 10%. The question is, what upside do I have to have to make up for that? Well, if you're looking at it from an arithmetic perspective, from the arithmetic mean, well, you need $10 on the upside because then your expected value is going to just be uh, zero. You, 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 you lose 10 bucks, you gain 10 bucks. On average, you keep your $100. But if you're going to play this game over and over again, and you're going to look at it as a rate of return on your 100 bucks, then Losing 10% and gaining 10% are not the same. So let's say you lose 10% and you're down to 90 and then you gain 10% again, you're only up to $99. You're not up to $100. So you actually have to have a little bit more, you know, kind of 11, 11.111, but let's say 11 to 12% on the upside in order to make you make up for the minus 10% on the downside in order to get this work so that um, you could play this again and again and again. And that is actually how casinos can make money. Because if you think about it, well, it's like, look, you're telling me that if I play a game where it's like, hey, I lose some amount and then I gain some equal amount, then I'm going to lose that if I play over and over and over again. And from a rate of return perspective, like in the, um, you know, in the, uh, let's say uh, let's say I put down a hundred dollars and I either uh, lose half of it or I make a hundred and fifty percent. Well, sure, on the upside I make fifty dollars, on the downside I make I uh, I lose fifty dollars. But the problem is, if you're either losing half of it or gaining half of it, in other words, you know, multiplying it by one point five. Well, if you multiply by one point five sometimes and you multiply by point five the other half of the time, then Effectively, if you play that over and over again, you multiply the two together, you're actually multiplying by 0.75 on average. On average, you're losing 25%. So that's not good. Um, but the, the, w w when you're looking at much smaller rates of return and the upside and the downside are very similar, but the upside is a little bit more, then you're actually making a, a, a rate of return. So let's say you put, again, let's go back to the example that I had before. If you put down $100, if on the downside you lose 10, so you lose 10%, on the upside you gain, say, 12%, then you're making a rate of return on the $100. And that's how kind of the casino wins, even though their bet and your bet is almost the same, even and, and theirs is like, they have kind of like a slight edge. Um, they have so much capital invested just in the uh, in the in the business of the of the casino, and they're playing the game over and over so quickly that uh, because you know that in terms of the rate of return, they're making a a good rate of return over time. So that's an interesting way to think about it. Um, you know, 
you know, you 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 can't um, win in a casino game in a betting game, but you can win doing something like that uh, in in the game of investing. And, um, you know, those of you, I've been, you know, looking at getting a rate of return on crypto recently. And so you'll see that on staking too. So it's like, it's not just that you're betting $100, you're putting down $100, you're waiting some period of time, and then you kind of have, uh, you're kind of expecting a rate of return, but a bunch of things could happen. It could be a big rate of return, it could be a uh, small rate of return, it could be a small loss. And so you ask yourself, well, what is my expected rate of return and so it wasn't the uh it wasn't the 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 mean expected value when it comes out of it that i'm looking at what i'm looking at is actually the expected um the expected percentage rate of return which is a little bit different that's going to be the geometric mean of the, the the geometric expected value of of all of the uh of of all of the uh potential outcomes which Instead of, you know, the, the arithmetic mean is, you know, you're adding them all up and dividing by the number of, uh, uh, you're doing a weighted sum and divided by the total weights. Or let's say they're all equally likely. You kind of add up all, let's say you have 10 possibilities all equally likely. You add them up and divide it by 10. The geometric mean, you multiply them together and take the 10th take the, uh, root, <laughs> raise it to the power of 1 over 10. And I guess that makes sense if we're talking about it. It's really just the arithmetic mean when you're talking about it in terms of, uh, log space, but I'm sure I lost you some of you on that. Um, so anyway, have any of you, uh, again, this is not getting into very complicated portfolio theory, but uh, I thought that was an interesting concept that uh, is sort of simplified things and helped me think about, you know, which investments are good for the long term, and maybe that will help you. All right, maybe I'll write more about that and... Um, you know, just a just a quick one today. I just wanted to get a few things on my mind, off my mind, and we will continue next week with some of our interviews. I had a really cool interview um, with Irasima uh, Trevisan uh, the other day about uh, uh, augmented reality in cities. So we're going to get to that. Uh, I'm still th- waiting uh, to talk about the uh, the fourth turning with Aaron. We might do another news update. So all this is coming soon. Oh, oh, and we have a very kind of special announcement coming soon on the local maximum and that is i might have a place where we can do do videos um and uh sort of a a room in my apartment that i'm putting together and that's going to be exciting so look forward to that all right remember sign up for locals maximum.locals.com the website is localmaxradio.com have a great week everyone that's the show To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.